Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, if you will. 1 Peter chapter 3. It is, it's good to see so many people coming back out. I know uh, a lot of people are starting to feel a lot more comfortable uh, coming out, and I know that it is a little bit nerve-wracking sometimes. But uh, I appreciate the fact that so many are, are wanting to come out. We see a lot of people taking vacations, and that's, that's good, too. Up in, here in, in Massachusetts, we get about three months of some, spring, summer, and then nine months, nine months of winter. So uh, take it while you can get it, right? We're starting a new series today. We finished up our series last week on the family. We're starting a new series today. I'm getting just a little bit of feedback, guys. Um, called Honest Questions That Deserve Honest Answers. And this is a series I've been praying about for a while. God has been really working on my heart with, about for quite a while because there's so much going on in our world today. And there are so many questions. And there are so many competing voices for people's attention. I think it's important that we as followers of Christ know what it is we believe. The worst, the worst witness in the world is an uninformed Christian. A Christian who doesn't know their faith, a Christian who always falls back on what my church says or my pastor says, a Christian, a follower of Christ who cannot say, this is what I believe and this is why. Listen, I'm not saying you have to be an apologist who has a doctorate in biblical studies, but it's incredibly important that we as followers of Christ know what it is we believe, why we believe it, and how to share that. Too many times we are intimidated by those out there because they seem to sound maybe not so much intelligent, but very confident and assured. But if you were really willing to dig into a conversation, there's two things about most people that are true. Most people uh, in that area represent their knowledge way too highly and secondly, the reason they do so is because they're really seeking and looking for answers. So this morning we begin this series, Honest Questions That Deserve Honest Answers. And our text is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. If you stand with me as we read God's word this morning. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 say, Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts regard, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil, you may be seated. Now, this passage has, it's kind of like Shrek, right? Has many different layers to peel back. An onion, Shrek. Those of you who don't have children, maybe you've never seen Shrek. That would be a lot funnier if you'd seen the movie. Maybe. As we look at it, there's the confidence we can have as followers of Christ when we face those who challenge us. You are able to have confidence. Let me just uh, give an overview of what I see as the problem with most Christians. When you have these conversations, not arguments, you never want to let, let it devolve into an argument because it, you always end up looking bad and you drive a wedge and it creates division between you and those who are seeking. But Many times we let that conversation go off track and we let it go, in, go down a side road that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, has nothing to do with the Bible, has nothing to do with anything that has to do with our faith, and it gets us way off track. You can have confidence. The Bible tells you you can have confidence as you share your faith. There's the need to be prepared, which is what is at the heart of this series, being prepared, having that confidence in you, in your faith, in understanding what it is you believe, and being able to be prepared. The need to be humble and kind 
and not to give those who oppose us any ammunition to fire back at us. I think that's the hardest, one of the hardest parts for us personally to deal with because today, have you noticed people just aren't nice anymore? People can be, it can be a very, uh, I think everybody is kind of on edge right now and just waiting for the opportunity to pounce and get that anger and aggression or whatever it is out. The Bible tells us here that when we face situations, when we face those who are attacking us or coming at us, to be kind, to not attack back. And there's all kinds of scriptures you can bring in uh, that support that. So that, and the purpose of, of that is so that they don't have anything to come back against you with. Maybe what you want to do is leave them with food for thought. Maybe you, what you want to do is make that conversation an open-ended conversation so that they can go and think about what you've talked about and allow the Holy Spirit to work on their hearts. And then later on, they'll come back and ask, and you can add to it and build on it here a little, there a little. We also see the fact that we will suffer one way or the other, but it's better if we suffer for doing God's will. And there's a whole lot we could dig out from this, and we could build a whole series on this passage. But we're not going to. We're just going to be using that as a springboard to jump into the idea of being ready to give honest biblical answers. That's the key, biblical answers, to questions that come up from those who don't believe. Just as with the series on the family, doesn't really matter for followers of Christ, for those of us who are trying to raise our children in the Word and in the Lord, it doesn't really matter of the opinions out there. What we wanted to find out in this last series was what does the Bible say about parenting? What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about relationships in the home? And that's the same thing when we come to these questions that deserve answers. We're going to be looking at the Bible and what the Bible has to say. Never before has knowledge been more prevalent, more available, and more overwhelming. How many of you have a smartphone with you this morning? That's unbelievable, man. Actually, it's not unbelievable, it's believable, but it's amazing. Now, I won't ask you to answer this next question, but if you're over the age of 50, uh, think back to, I apologize, I'm going to have to sit for a little bit. Think back to when you were a kid. Think back to when you started going to school and how you got information. How many of you in high school, some of you who are, you know, you're under maybe 35 or something like that, you may not know this, but there's a place in town called the library. <laughs> and the library, it's filled with these things and it has a hard cover on each side and then these little pages that you turn. And on those pages, it's full of information. How many of you had to write a paper in high school or college with a look, my hands flying up all over the place, man, with an encyclopedia, right? Encyclopedia Britannica or, Amer Britannica or Americana. Come on, man. That was, and, and you'd have to go, the worst thing about using an encyclopedia to write a paper at the library is you'd go and you'd get one encyclopedia, one volume, and you thought you had it. And then you'd realize, I've got the wrong one. So now you have to go back, find the right one, and bring it back. I, I can remember being at the library writing papers with about seven or eight books stacked around me, trying to get information. Nowadays, for those of you who have that smartphone, you can access everything and more with a couple swipes of the keys. We were chatting, a couple of us uh, were chatting this, I think it was this past week or the week before, about a volume of commentaries, the pulpit commentaries. My father passed down his pulpit commentary to me, and I've since passed it down to my oldest son. And in the pulpit commentary, there's, almost, there's like 26 volumes of pulpit commentary. I can pull that up on my phone and more. It's just amazing. It's amazing. The availability of knowledge is indeed overwhelming. In 1982, a man named Buckminster Fully estimated that until 1900, 
available knowledge doubled about every century. That was the pace of knowledge development. About every century, knowledge would double. By 1945, right after World War II, doubling, knowledge was doubling at the pace of every 25 years. By 1986, I remember this, I was a youth pastor out in Kansas, and I went to the graduation for, one of my, for a couple of my seniors. And the Secretary of State for the state of Kansas gave the commencement address. And he said this, and it just struck me. It was my last year in the Army, and he said, nowadays, he said, this generation has, is graduating with the most available knowledge any generation has graduated with. Knowledge was doubling at that point every five years. And that just amazed me. It blew my mind. Every five years, available knowledge was doubling. By 2013, available knowledge was doubling every 13 months. And nowadays, with nanotechnology and computers and all the things that we have, available knowledge, you ready for this? Available knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. Every 12 hours. It is just unbelievable to me. In the past, quite honestly, in all of our lifetimes, knowledge has typically grown at a pace where we could keep up with it. We could adjust if we wanted to, and society could just about keep pace because there were enough people who knew the answers to the questions, and they could share them with the rest of us and bring us along. I remember uh, when I got my, Zach, my oldest son, Zach, used to work for Verizon. How many of you ever bought a phone from Zach? Verizon <laughs> he used to sell phones. And uh, he would always try to get me to upgrade to the next big thing. And I'm like, why do I need, Zach, I don't need that. I don't, I don't, that was back when flip phones were popular and you could take a picture with your flip phone. I mean, that was cool, right? Well, these iPhones came out. He's like, dad, you gotta have one of these. And his, the, the selling point with Zach to me is always, dad, you can get a, you can ESPN. Like, <laughs> all right, all right, sold. And he, would, he was explaining to me what you could do with these things. And it just, I, I, I couldn't quite grasp it. And it took a while. It took a while for me. I couldn't open the phone. This is the second generation iPhone I got. And I couldn't get it to open. I was like, I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound stupid. I don't want to sound old. But I had to go over uh, to where a bunch of our guys were working at a restaurant. And they asked me how I like the new phone, and I said, it's, it's pretty cool, but I just can't open it. And they looked at it, and they said, just do this. So I'm like, oh, okay. But normally, knowledge has grown at a pace where we could keep up with it, where somebody can usually have the answers and help us along. Today's environment, no one can keep up. And part of, the credibility, part of the problem with that is that it undermines credibility and it undermines truth. The truth is, by the time we get the information to address an issue, the attention span of society has moved on to the next big thing. You've heard the phrase, the 24-hour news cycle. Well, that's where we're at. Just one thing after the other, after the other, after the other, and things are changing so quickly that we just can't keep up. The danger that is plaguing the church, in my opinion, is that we've been caught up in this phenomenon and we're trying to keep up. I have no problem, you can look around, you can see that we use technology. I have no problem with that. I have no problem trying to keep up with knowledge, what's available to us. I think that's important because of the benefits. We have a live stream. Many of you, many people are watching us on a live stream. Many of you, during the pandemic, while everything was shut down, you stayed connected with the church through the live stream or through our Facebook Live. I, I appreciate all those things, and I think it's awesome. I think it makes studying much easier, doing research much easier, making presentations. Having a portable Bible, I think, is great. I think the estimate now is about 70% of all Christians, when they go to church, take their Bible on their phone. 
So I think there's a lot of great benefits, but we must not allow the timeless message of the gospel to be lost. And that's the great danger. We can't allow it to be lost. We can't allow it to be compromised or watered down because of the speed of knowledge. You see, what happens is knowledge is changing so fast that people can make an argument or they can, they can give their statements and say their whatever it is they're saying, and nobody will challenge them because first, they haven't kept up with it, and secondly, things are changing so quickly they don't know if it's the truth or not. We must remember that the Bible is always true. It's our responsibility to know why and to be able to share that knowledge with those who don't know. Knowledge may increase, knowledge may change, knowledge may grow, but the Bible is always the same. The truth of the word is always the same. The principles of the word are always the same. Why can the Bible span generations? Why can it span centuries? Why can it span millennia? Because the Bible's message is timeless. Because the Bible's principles are applicable in every generation. Make no mistake, the Bible is under attack and our faith is under attack. And that's not whining. Please don't misunderstand that. I'm not whining. I'm not looking for the government to uphold my religious freedom. I don't have religious freedom from the government. I have freedom in Jesus Christ. Amen. And if someday someone in the United States government decides that churches can't exist, well, guess what? The church will find a way to exist because the government's not gonna take this away. But that doesn't change the fact that our faith is under attack. I think it's not so much our faith, but it's the credibility of our faith, the credibility of the word of God that's under attack. Sadly, many Christians are buying into these things and we're falling into it. I, as I was having my, taking my prayer drive last night, I was, uh, this has been very heavy on my heart as I've seen brothers and sisters in the faith just changing just buying into new philosophies and new thoughts that are contrary to the word and contrary to what they've stood for and lived throughout their ministries and lives. Our belief system, the very foundation of what we've been given to build our lives upon is being challenged, it's being mocked, and it's being changed without any facts because of that new knowledge. When you, when, when people, I've had people come to me very confident and sure of themselves, knowing that they're going to just rip me apart. <clears throat> My simple response when they come up with something is, well, do you have scripture for that? Well, well, you know, I heard, I don't really care what you heard, man. I, that's fine. That's fine. I heard Daffy Duck challenge Bugs Bunny. Doesn't mean it's real. Okay. We watched... We watched uh, the new um, LeBron James movie. What's that? Space Jam. Oh, everybody else watching it. I get it, yeah. We watched the new Space Jam movie, and LeBron James scored like 936 points in the fourth quarter. It's not real. It's just a movie. So people can come up with whatever they want. But when it comes to the Word of God, it has to be supported by the Word of God, not what you think. And... When people try to say, well, society wasn't the same 2,000 years ago. I know that. I get that. I understand that completely. But the Bible was. And the principles of the Word of God were. And what applied back then applies to today. You just have to stop trying to make, your, make the Bible fit the narrative of your life and make your life fit the narrative of the Bible. And let your theology be from the word of God and not from what you want it to be to justify the sinful lifestyle that you want to live. Today's environment, you could spout off with your own facts that prove your own truth. And they have to be accepted because they are your truth. I've, everybody has a story, right? Everybody has their story. Everybody has the life they've lived. That last song that we sang, outstanding job. Worship team, you guys were just amazing worship this morning. Thank God for that. 
That last song speaks to each one of us in a different way. The goodness of God is the same. We all experience the goodness of God. But the reason many people were touched deeply by that song is because the goodness of God has reached you in different ways. It has sustained you at different times in your life. There have been moments in your life where you have had nothing to rely on, nothing to lean on, nothing to count on except for the goodness of God. And that's why that song, I know for me, that's why that song choked me up so that I had, I had trouble getting words out. You see, the way the Bible was applied, the way that goodness of God has affected each of our lives may be different and may be in a different way, but it's still the goodness of God. It's still the same goodness of God. It's still the same goodness of God that Paul realized when Jesus said to him, my faith, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, where does that put us and how do we combat what is going on? Do we start a war? Do we start an information war? We, we take Facebook by storm and we just start going after everybody and, and hammering everything everybody says, no. Bible tells us to be wise as serpents but harmless as doves. And many times, you, just like you don't have to answer your phone every time it rings, you don't have to answer every comment and you don't have to come back at every thing that someone says, especially if you know people are trying to bait you into an argument or people are trying to start an argument there. Now, as New Englanders, I know we don't know much about that, right? We are not, we're not very sarcastic here. We don't try to get, we don't try to stir the pot at all, right? We, we're just, we play it straight all the time. Thank you for Mookie. See, I'm telling Thank you for Moogie Betts. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. And all of you, uh, all of you Nationals fans, if any of you exist, thank you for Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. But we play it straight up here. We don't try to instigate anything. Unfortunately, too many of followers of Jesus find themselves in a strange land, that strange land between legalism and liberty. Right? That strange land between legalism and liberty that... They forget their the call on their life is to shine the light of Jesus and his grace to the world, not, not to make sure that other people toe the line. It's not your job to keep other people in line. It's not your job to be the warden of all things spiritual. It's your job to shine your light, the light of Jesus Christ through your life to the world. In order to fight this fight effectively, we've got to be prepared and we get prepared by understanding what the Bible has to say about our faith and the times that we're living in. The battle isn't easy. We know that. We know that sincerely. These last 18 months have been very, very difficult. It's never been easy and it was never supposed to be easy. And if we believe the Bible to be true, it's only going to be more difficult because the Bible tells us in the end times, things are going to be much, much more difficult in life, in the world. And I believe, and I'll make this statement publicly, I believe with all my heart that we are in the end times. I believe we're living in those times that were prophesied. I'm convinced in my heart that we're living in those times that were prophesied in the Bible that are the beginning of the end. I believe that with all my heart. Uh, you may not believe that. I know there's a lot of people that disagree and there's a lot of people that agree. And I think one of the reasons many people don't agree is because this is not what we expected it to look like. We expect, you know, people, I remember growing up in churches and hearing uh, messages about prophecy and eschatology and they talked about chaos and there were movies made back in the 70s about the rapture and end times and it was total chaos, right? And that's not what's happening now. I mean, there's chaos, but there's still order. And there's answers, but that's the way the Bible says things would happen. Why do I believe, and this is just all leading up, 
Why do I believe that we are living in the end times? Let me just give you a few prophetic passages about what the end times are supposed to be like. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 4. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. There will be a time of distress, of distress such as has never occurred since nations came into being until that time. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. But you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. And this last part is what I want to focus on. Many will roam about, and that is better translated travel. In other words, the, the prophetic interpretation of that is that at end times, travel will be incredibly easy. You can go all, today you can, you can travel around the world. I don't know how long it will take you to fly around the world, but you could do it pretty quickly. People can travel at will. Uh, these, just uh, Friday, we just decided to uh, get new shoes for the boys for school, so we went out to rent them. Went to the outlets, and then we went down to Rhode Island. I told the boys as we went across into Rhode Island, I say, hey, boys, we're in a different state. And they look, they're like, what, what? They're starting to understand those things. So we, just, we traveled to three, through three different states in just a matter of hours. You couldn't do that, you know, 200 years ago. Travel has increased and knowledge will increase. One of the signs of the end times, two of the signs of the end times, is travel will be easy and knowledge will increase. That's prophesied. Knowledge will increase. I'll say this as well. I, I know a lot of you, now don't, don't fire me over this, okay? Because some of you disagree with me completely. I get it, I get it. I believe in climate change, okay? I don't buy into every, every reason, and I'm not, you know, I, I have solar panels on my house. I get that. But um, I, it's not my cause in life. I believe it's happening. I think it's silly to not, I mean, we broke the all-time record for rain in July, the all-time record, in a matter of 11 days this month. I was going to buy a boat to row through my basement. We had so much water coming in. Things are happening. Things are different. Look around the world. Go and Google. Go on the Google, and you can Google strange weather around the world. So I believe it's happening. I believe it. But I don't believe, I don't believe the, all the theories behind it. I believe that it's been prophesied by God that in the end times, you will see signs in the heavens and signs in the weather patterns. The Bible says that. So there's another in, there, there's another prophetic sign. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 11 say, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Those were the days of Noah. That was just before Noah built the ark, and God preserved his family and destroyed the rest of humanity. Why is that, why is that a prophetic verse? Why is that Interesting, because in Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus is speaking. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so also, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So we see an increase of travel. We see an increase of knowledge. We see changes in the weather. We see explosions of violence, not just in our state, in our country, but in our world. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 3 say, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, and this is, to me, this is the big one. For that day will not come unless the apostasy. Now, the Christian Standard Bible is the one I use. And it says apostasy, but other translations translate that, ver that word rebellion or what I, I think is the best inter uh, interpretation, falling away. There come a falling away comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. The Bible clearly says that in the end times, at the end of it all, before Jesus Christ takes his bride out of here, we are pre-tribulation at new life, before he takes the bride, the church out, and the tribulation period starts, that one of the signs of the end times is a falling away of the church from
from the truth of the word of God. Folks, that's happening now. That's happening now at a pace that is dizzying. I, I just, as I talk with my contemporaries in ministry, they relate stories to me, story after story after story. And I look around and I see men and women of God just leaving the faith or changing their teaching just to keep pace with society. It's unbelievable. What that's called is a falling away from truth. There's now a, a new doctrine of salvation that is coming out called inclusivism. And it's, it's sparked by um, those who believe you can cross the dispensations, the, old, the, the dispensation of the law and the dispensation of grace. And that many people, in fact, some of these preachers say you don't have to accept Christ as your savior as long as you have a belief or a knowledge of God. And in that, they believe that God is bringing together, and my, I remember my father teaching and preaching this, that they want to bring together all the different groups of Christianity, whether they believe in salvation or not. That's prophesied, a one world church, okay? Folks, listen, I'm not trying to be a doomsayer. I'm not trying to depress anybody. I'm not trying to... I'm not, try, I'm not trying to be negative. It may sound negative, but I'm trying to be negative. What I'm trying to do is paint a picture for you of where we're at. Where I believe with all my heart we are at in society. Where we are at in our lives. We are at, where we are at in time. Because it is incredibly important that we as followers of Christ understand that, know the truth, and are ready to face it. As you can clearly see in scripture, God reveals to us in his word what the last days will look like. The days before the rapture of the church, the days before the tribulation of, the se of seven years and the second coming of Jesus Christ. But what we want to fo focus on this morning for a little bit is that great falling away prophecy and how we're seeing it in the church and the vital importance that we renew our commitment to our faith to God's word, and to living it out before the world. And the heart of this series, having the knowledge to answer those honest questions from seekers that deserve honest and competent answers. That's what this whole series is going to be about. Answering those questions that are prevalent. Answering those questions that you get hit with all the time. And being able to give an honest, competent answer. To back up what I'm saying because I just said knowledge is increasing at such a rapid pace that people could say whatever they want and you don't have the time to look it up until it changes. Let me back up what I had to say there about the church falling away and the change in view towards the church, towards Jesus Christ and the Bible with statistics. Now, I took these statistics from many different organizations. The Barna organization is a Christian polling organization. I got some of the statistics from them but also from several other, uh, Ipsos. Ipsos does a lot of polls. Um, ah, my mind is, uh, the Gallup organization is what most of us are familiar with down through the years. <laughs> and many different polls I, I grabbed information from because they're all saying the same thing. So consider these statistics. In 2019, 65% of United States adults identified as Christians. They didn't identify, that doesn't mean they identified as evangelical followers of Christ. They just identified themselves as Christians. 71% of Americans continue to view the Bible as a holy document, believing it is at least God-inspired, if not God's very own words. Now, remember that last part, because that's incredibly important as we dig into this. Only 24% of American Christians believe the Bible is the inspired, literal word of God. That's what we teach here. And I hope that's what you believe and hold to in your heart. That the Bible is the literal, inspired words of God. Not his thoughts, not his suggestions that were old, old men and women just wrote down 
in their own, in their own way. They're the very words of God. In 1976, that was 38%. It's held steady since, since 2017. 47% of Americans believe the Bible is the inspired, I don't understand, I, I don't understand how they divided this up. They believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, but not the words of God. 26% of Americans believe that the Bible is an ancient book of fables. 47% of Americans belong to a religious congregation, and that is of all faiths. In 2018, it was 50%. In 1999, it was 70%. In 1937, 73% or three quarters of America belong to a religious congregation of some kind. Over 21% of Americans have no religious preference. That is, they have sparked a new terminology in polling, and they're called nuns not the Catholic ones that live in a convent. Nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Means they have no religious preference whatsoever. 57% of Americans believe that knowing right from wrong is a matter of personal experience. The only truth that you can know is your truth. Okay? 57% of Americans believe the only truth that can be known is your truth from personal experience. 74% of millennials who are the 20s and 30s year olds in our society, they believe they agree with that. This means that they don't believe in an absolute moral truth. Truth or morality are relative. Okay? Only 59% of Americans, 83% of practicing Christians, believe that the Bible gives us moral truths that are the same for all people in all situations without exception. 46% of evangelicals believe in absolute truth that is grounded in God's word. 48% of evangelicals don't. You see the problem? Half of all evangelicals, and, and to be an evangelical, I know that's a, that's a tag that's been, that, that many of you don't want to take, and there are people that call themselves evangelicals that I don't want to be associated with, I've got to be honest with you. Um, but to be evangelical is someone who believes the word of God to be true and has accepted Jesus Christ as their savior and believes you have a responsibility to share your faith with the world. That's a, a, a nutshell description of what an evangelical is. But we have a real problem when half of all evangelicals don't believe that the Bible is absolute truth. They don't believe in truth grounded in God's word. Folks, the word of God is supposed to be the foundation of our faith. The Word of God is supposed to be what we hold to. It's supposed to be our go-to. That's what the Bible is supposed to be. Yet half of all evangelicals don't agree with that. Only 54% of Christians identify God as the source of truth. 65% either agree strongly or somewhat that every culture must determine what is acceptable morality for its people. 25% of all millennials strongly agree. There's a new moral code in America, and that moral code has replaced the Bible. 51% of Americans, 76, I'm sorry, 91% of Americans, 76% of practicing Christians believe that the way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. However, Jesus says that the one who seeks for him will find peace and will find life. 89%, 76% of practicing Christians believe that you should not criticize someone for their life choices. And I, I don't like that question the way it's worded because calling sin is not criticizing someone. Calling sin, sin is not criticizing someone's lifestyle choice. Listen, if you want me to be honest about it, and there, there's not a person in this church congregation, whether you're here or whether you're watching online or whether you're on vacation, not one person that can say, I've ever come to your house and told you what to do. Can't even say that I've tried to tell you what to do and how to run your life or run your home. I try to give you biblical truth and biblical principles and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and, and, and build your life the way he wants to build that life in you. 
But sin is sin. I'm not criticizing someone because of their choices in life. That's why, that's, when people form their opinions that way, that's when they start saying that we are haters of them. And that's not, that's not the truth in any way. It can be of many Christians, I will agree with that, many Christians have approached those who choose lifestyles that they don't agree with, with hate, with anger, with ugly. But that's not the way we're supposed to. And I believe that's why we need to be informed so that we can give an answer when people ask us those questions. 86% of Americans, 72% of practicing Christians, believe that to be fulfilled in life, you must pursue the things that you desire most. 72% of practicing Christians believe that. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So I'm not trying to be a killjoy. Okay? Not at all. What I'm trying to say here is that the attitude of Christianity towards walking with Jesus, towards the Word of God, towards the truth and principles of the Bible with which we're supposed to live our life by are being trampled underfoot. 84% of Americans and 67% of practicing Christians believe that the highest goal of life is to enjoy it as much as possible. Where Jesus says, he that finds his life will lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen, once again, you don't have to like that. You can be angry with me and want to throw something at me for, for saying that, but that's biblical truth, folks. Your argument isn't with me, okay? Your argument isn't with me. Your argument is with the Word of God. And 79% of Americans, 61% of practicing Christians believe that people can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. I believe there's some truth to that in some areas. But when we go down that road, we are now opening the door for everyone to have their own truth and truth to be relative. And there are true facts. There are things that are true in this world that cannot be changed. There's great danger when people lose their sense of absolute truth because at that point, anything goes. Let me give you an example that most of us, I think everybody in the auditorium just about will remember, most of us, running our slides, probably not. The 9-11 terrorist attacks. While roundly criticized and condemned by our society, can, can be completely justified by other societies because it agrees with their moral code. In fact, in some faiths, they will completely overlook the sin because the outcome did what was required of their society. You see, when there is no absolute truth, when truth is relative to your own belief system, when you can make your own rules regardless of what anybody else says, regardless of what the Bible says, anything goes. And if that is true, we have no business condemning them for their belief system because it is their truth, even if it isn't ours. Truth isn't just being, truth just isn't for the big issues in life, though. It's for every issue in life. While people may be free to choose, we must make sure that we don't allow their choices to change our biblical morality and commitment to God and his word. Listen, our goal, Christians, listen, our goal is not to get everybody to toe the line. Lots of well-meaning, wonderful, loving, compassionate people will reject Jesus Christ and spend eternity in hell. It's not our job to make a utopian society. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. All right? Just not going to happen. One of the things I'd love to do with the men uh, this, this football season is have like a, I've uh, been talking about it for a couple of years, and last year it was put on hold because of COVID, but I'd love to do Monday night football, I'll, the par tailgate party, even Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, have a tailgate party. I've got a big screen, I've got a projector, we can do it outside. Women, you can come along if you want. Okay, R Lewis is shaking his head vehemently and violently, no. Um, I didn't do that, okay? I didn't do that, all right? 
Of course, Lewis thinks that you should be knitting sweaters, right? All right. Getting Lewis into trouble here. Um, I'd love to do it. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. You know, it'd be a good time. But there's going to be those of us who are on one side. Lord, help us if it's an NFC West battle between the Los Angeles Rams and the chickens from northern, the Seahawks. The Seahawks, right? We have some, we have some Seattle folks here. <laughs> All right? I mean, it will, it, right, right? You see what I mean? It's never going to be peace. I'm going to be peace, right? Just not going to happen. <laughs> that hurt. That hurt. That hurt. We're always, we're always going to have differences of opinion. We're all, there's always going to be differences. There's always going to be things that we cannot agree on. Our goal, once again, is to agree, uh, disagree without being disagreeable. But we're never going to create a utopian society. It's not going to happen. There has to be right and wrong. And as Christians, we know there has to be, and we know that there is. And we cannot allow the morality and the changing of others to distort and to water down our faith. And that's exactly what's happening. This incredible shift in moral and ethical code has had consequences as well as having been prophesied. In Matthew 24, 12, Jesus says in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many for the gospel will grow cold. In this prophecy, Jesus Christ is describing an ongoing breakdown in the relationship with God. Since the most important relationship is the source of true love or agape love, if that's growing cold, then it will be evident in our relationships. It's no wonder, with all the changes that we're seeing in society, with all the changes we're seeing in mentality, with all the changes we're seeing in outlook and truth, it's no wonder that the influence of the Bible as God's word and the ultimate source of truth is growing weaker and weaker almost by the day. See, the sw uh, I believe the pendulum has swung away from the truth of God's word. I believe the pendulum has swung away from truth at all. Our task and our, our task throughout this series my job, my responsibility, and my goal throughout this series is to try to bring an understanding of truth to some of the greatest and most honest questions. One of the things that we get caught up in and we, we struggle with as a society and as Christians is we get offended when people ask us questions. I'll bring that up again. When we talk about race, white people get so offended because we think that they're criticizing us personally. We think they're attacking us personally. When they're not, honest questions deserve honest answers. And honesty sometimes is difficult to accept, but truth is truth. And you have to accept truth. And our goal throughout this series is to bring you to a place of biblical truth and give you the opportunity to dig into the word understand the truth of the word so that you can be armed and ready to give honest answers to those honest questions that are out there. If we don't have honest answers for honest questions, then we are leaving truth up for interpretation. If we don't have honest biblical answers for honest questions, we are abdicating our role as purveyors of truth as the light of the world and allowing others to set the knowledge agenda for everybody else. The first question that we're going to tackle is actually one that is asked in many different ways, takes many different forms, with many interchangeable words. We're going to get into it next week. And it's this, if God is good, why? If God is good, why? 
It's sometimes it's, it's brought out like this. If God is love, why does he allow suffering? If God is all powerful, why doesn't he just fix everything? If God is perfect, why did he allow sin? If God is good, why does evil exist? If God is good, why? That's the first question we're going to answer. I hope you'll come back. I hope this has piqued your interest. This isn't going to be a hate session. This isn't going to be an attack session. This is going to be looking into the word and giving honest truth because they're asking honest questions and they deserve honest answers. Listen, when we, when we stop getting offended by people asking us questions and realize they deserve to hear the truth, then we'll change our tune. And maybe, just maybe, we'll change our approach. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being here in your house today. Lord, thank you for all those who came out. Thank you for the spirit that was here today. Lord, thank you for being with us. Thank you for meeting with us today. God, what a blessing. Thank you for your worship team that surrenders to you and allows you to flow through them. Lord, I, I know that this is, this is a tough and even controversial topic to broach. Father, sometimes we don't even want to talk about these things because too often it creates struggle and anxiety and arguments. But Lord, I believe that what you've shown me is that sometimes that's ca they cause arguments because of my approach. Father, I pray that as we go through this, that we'll have open hearts and open minds. We'll allow you to teach us. We'll think about it. We'll pray about it and prepare ourselves to answer those honest questions that seeking people are asking. Because Lord, they deserve to hear the truth. Father, as we go from this place today, would you bless us? Would you watch over us? Watch over those who are away on vacation. Watch over those who aren't able to be here uh, yet and are joining us online. Oh, we have some friends here visiting from uh, across the country. Would you bless them and watch over their trip as they drive? And God, just, uh, just bless us all. May we honor you with our lives. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.